Kim, I don't know this for fact, but did they write that song from the whole based off Hebrews chapter 10? Do you think so? Okay. All right. I think that they might. Like, how very, yeah. Like, especially like the words that are in today's sermon are in that song. So it's beautiful. Like, maybe it was just a word search, right? But either way, either way, praise the Lord. It's awesome. That was amazing. Like, the three great songs like that. And so the kids are already dismissed. So, uh, Chris should have gone. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, sorry. But uh, yeah, welcome back. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. I know you're excited. It's only six verses. How great is that? This should be like just just an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Something simple like that. Yeah, six verses. It's easy. It's easy. No, but certainly praise the Lord. And we all need encouragement in our life. And so the author of Hebrews uh, even though a lot of times we consider it an epistle, the way that it starts, it just rolls right in. There's no introduction. There's no hi, so-and-so. There's no anything. It's just in many times and in many ways, <laughs> God spoke to us through the prophets and our forefathers, but it's like a sermon. And so within the sermon, we keep repeating ourselves. I'm sure you guys are used to that with me. We repeat ourselves. I, I talk about Jesus every week, right? Like, come on, Eric, there's got to be something else. But no, that's the main thing is Jesus every week and all that he's done. And so this week should encourage us. It's another transitional phase. It, it closes the chapters on what we've talked about in the, the high priesthood, as well as within the covenants, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the new covenant, and how God has bridged all that together through his Messiah to present us with a new and better covenant. And so, with all of that, hopefully we see, as we'll see on the back, there's tons of encouragement. This letter was written as an exhortation, which means encouragement. And so, this is one of those key focal points. So, praise the Lord. Let's do it well. So, dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for all the blessings in our lives. Thank you for bringing us here this morning, but certainly thank you for allowing us the opportunity to know you and to have that opportunity to love you and to serve you in such a capacity. And so, Lord Jesus, as we approach your word, certainly tune our hearts and our minds to your will and fill us, convict us. As the song said, we come empty to be filled. So fill us and fill us well. Uh, we love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So when we first looked at this, and when I first looked at this, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a recap of the entire 10 chapters up to this point. No problem. Easy. But that would take a long time and, and in many different ways, right, Chris? <laughs> so 
very simply, I just want to take this verse by verse because there are only six verses. So this should go relatively quickly in that way. But there is a lot in this. And of course, this passage starts with a therefore. So we must know ultimately what it's there for. And this ties back into verse 18 of last week, where it says, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And so, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the forgiveness of sins through our Lord and Savior Jesus, and the once-for-all offering that Jesus has already made on our behalf, therefore, since there's no more need for an offering of sin, we can have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus or the works of what Jesus has done. This whole first point is we have confidence through Christ's accomplishments. And that's exactly how he starts this in verse 19. Because from last week's sermon, based on everything that Jesus had done in those, I mean, gosh, like let's talk about the whole thing again, right? But based on what Jesus has done for us, I'm, I'm going to circumvent that just for a second, but we have those forgiveness of sins. Remember that God was creating a new covenant. He was going to write the laws on their minds. He was going to put them on their hearts, and he will forget or forgive the sins of the people and remember them no more. And that was always the fundamental problem that we had with the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the priesthood, if you will. The priesthood could never change the conscience of the believer. It could only purify the outside, which is what fundamentally is wrong with, quote-unquote, religion. It's an outside, inside type of service, if you will. If I do these works, if I do all these things, then God will love me. But the truth of the matter is that God already loves you. And when Jesus comes, it's an inside, out transformation that we experience. Our hearts and our minds are changed initially, and then the works come not out of law or out of obligation, but because of the love that God has poured into our hearts in the first place. And so, knowing the differences between the two types of transformations that you, you may or may not see in religion, because Let's be honest, religion and doing works doesn't necessarily change you. And eventually you become begrudgingly irritated that you keep doing these things. And that, like, what's the point? What's the profit? So, therefore, ultimately, since we have this forgiveness of sins, and because Jesus is the once-for-all offering that's been made on our behalf, we can have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And going into that next verse, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. This is reminiscent of chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, and what we've been through in the holy place and the most holy place. If you remember the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, there was but one who could go into the most holy place, and that was the high priest, and he could only do it once a year, and on Yom Kippur. Whereas now, as we're, we're reading this and encouragement for this passage, we have access to the Father 24-7 through Jesus because he is in the heavenly places for us interceding on our behalf as our great mediator between a sinful human being and a holy and righteous God. So through the curtain, 
that's what they're, he's talking about here in this, is he's talking about the holy place and the most holy place that we reference back from chapter 9, verse 1 through 10. And so, as a reminder for you as well, because we talk about that is through his flesh, the blood of Jesus, that God gave us these answers back in Leviticus about why blood and why blood is so important. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, God tells us, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And so, again, considering what Jesus has done, this blood has atoned for our sins, which is why we can have forgiveness of sins from the Father, which is why he'll forgive us and restore us to that right and real relationship that we've all been looking for. For Well, we've all been looking for it. Whether or not we realize we've been looking for it, that's the real story, because a lot of times we're trying to fill in that hole in our lives with material things or other relationships or the list goes on and on and on on things that we can idolize or you know try to find our life's meaning and our life's purpose through. But knowing who we are in Christ certainly is the most important part of it. Who I am, why I'm here, what's wrong with the world, and what can be done to fix it are all answers that are found within the testimony and the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. So, through the curtain we go. Through the curtain we can go through the power of prayer by the great mediator that we have through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, and again, we can continue to see this in verse 21, and I want to give you a secret of the book of Hebrews. Right? I know. All right, it's not that big of a secret. <laughs> but the author breaks up this sermon into multiple sections, kind of different topics, if you will. In the first four chapters leading up to verse 14 of chapter 4, he's talking about the Son of God. And he's talking about his enthronement. He's talking about the full deity of Christ. He's talking about the full humanity of Christ. He's talking about how the gospel was created to be good news, that we might have rest, that it's not based on our performance, but it's based on what the Lord has done for us. And then he breaks it up with chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, which, if I read it to you, sounds identical to what we're talking about in this, because this is the second break from the second section. So in chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, all the way from chapter 5 through where we're at in chapter 10, he's talking about the priesthood. He's talking about the covenants. He's talking major theological implications into how God has fulfilled the law through his son, has fulfilled every obligation, which is why I named this entire sermon series that Jesus fulfills all of our needs as prophet and priest and king, because he is all of those things. Not just to us, but the reality of our lives. But us as his church certainly receive the better end of the blessings by far. So Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, kind of begins that great priest dialogue. Because we have to know how he's such a great priest. And so he fills that in, in that section. And so I would encourage you to go back and to read 14 through 16. But I'm going to read it for you right now. So, since then, 
We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. That, that's the exact verb for the next point. And so, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, again, he lays it all out. This is kind of that transition in chapter 4 that begins with, here's the character of the Son of God. His name is Jesus. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. Then, we go into this next section of chapters 5 through where we're at here in chapter 10, which talks about the high priesthood and the covenant, and then we're going to go into more application. And in fact, this last point is that beginning of the application. It's like, okay, now we know. What do we do? And so this is, we will eventually move on. But that whole verse, we definitely have a great high priest over the house of God. And if we were to see chapter 3 of Hebrews, it says very similarly too that Jesus was given greater honor and glory as the builder of the house has more honor and glory than the house itself. But it says also that we are his house. So, brilliantly, he's fully God, fully man, the great high priest who came, sinless, perfect, the spotless lamb of God that has come and he's over the house of God. And he's over all creation, as we've read from the first couple of chapters as well. So continuing, again, just more confidence building and confidence building and confidence building as he's going through again and kind of summarizing what he said in the first ten and a half chapters of the book of Hebrews. And then lastly, this verse, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We've talked a lot about the priesthood and the regulations and the rules that they followed. And in the Old Testament, there are 613 different laws for the nation of Israel to follow. Not all of them are quote-unquote religious laws or ceremonial laws. Some of them were civil. Some of them had to do with food. But in the ceremonial laws, there were tons of things to do, especially in regards to purification. If you read, as, as we read from chapter 9, uh, in order to even enter the most holy place, the high priest had to offer a sacrifice for himself, as well as for the unintentional sins of the people. And with God offering that, he's changed us in a way. And so this verse 22, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This you know, I, I did pick out another verse to try to help highlight this and try to help explain this, but it comes from another book. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says himself, and such were some of you, meaning sinners, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And the only reason I really chose that is because it helps to simplify this for our understanding, if you will. So when we talk about drawing near, and we talk about a true heart in full assurance of faith, the author certainly is going to expand on this in a minute. But at the same time, we have been justified. 
by the Lord Jesus. We have been declared righteous. It is not as if we are righteous ourselves. We have been declared righteous, which means not guilty. Again, mercy is not receiving the punishment that you so rightly deserve. And as sinners, the only punishment we rightly deserve is our death. And so God does not want that for us. He does not want that for his people. He continues to send beacons. He continues to pursue the lost. And praise the Lord if he uses us to help us reach the lost in all of this. But we need to know certainly that we are declared righteous. And so when we talk about the heart and the true heart, remember God's new covenant that he will write the laws on their hearts and in their minds and he will forgive their sins no more. And each one of them will know him. Not that we need to keep saying to each other, know the Lord, know the Lord. Because of the Holy Spirit, each one of us knows him, which is why each one of us can have the confidence to draw near and to enter the holy places because of the mediation of Jesus. We've been given the Spirit of God in us, through us. It's the promise and the seal and the guarantee that we are his. And it's the reason that we know that Jesus is indeed the way the truth, and the life in our lives. So we're justified. We're declared righteous. When God the Father looks at us and sees us, he sees the Son because the Son has redeemed us, bought us back from the slavery of sin and death, and reconciled us to have a right and real relationship with our Father. So that true heart, which is the encompassing of body, mind, and soul, so your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual nature can be God's and, and can be tuned to God again because we've let God work within us. We've allowed the Holy Spirit to work within us, and God continues to change us, to sanctify us, which is why we say sometimes that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because of God's great love that has been poured into our hearts. So, that true heart, and then that full assurance of faith. Faith has no power in and of itself, but in the one that you put power in or the one that you give the power to. And in this, especially in this moment, our faith rests in our Lord and Savior Jesus. This is why we can have confidence, not because of our own accomplishments or because of our own religiousness. It's because of what Christ has done in the fulfillment of the old covenant and in establishing the new covenant that we get to enjoy on a daily basis. So, Full assurance of faith, true heart, hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That really has to do with the sanctification that we talked about. Sanctification is the process of being made holy, the process of being changed into Christ's likeness. Easier said than done, <laughs> by far. And again, continue to think about just the, the, the regular walks of your life. And again, sometimes there's suffering, sometimes there's joy. In each of these moments, do we give praise and thanks to the Lord that, again, he has changed our hearts and our minds to his will and to his understanding for the world around us. So, 
We've been sprinkled clean because we have that holy conscience. I think this sprinkled clean could also deal with the mercy seat in the sense of what we talked about in the most holy of places, that the mercy seat had to be sprinkled with the blood of bulls and goats for the forgiveness of, of sins for both the priest as well as for the people. But the people couldn't come and have that relationship with God. They needed to have a high priest. And in today's day and age, believe it or not, we still need a high priest. But, praise the Lord, we have Jesus, who is our great high priest. Very simple. Because otherwise we'd have to go looking around for a high priest, and odds are it's not going to go well, because they're just going to atone for their sins, and, you know, whatever, not necessarily help us. But, again, Old Testament covenant versus New Testament covenant. They're very different, and certainly it should be an encouragement for you as well to understand how these different covenants work. So, we see that the heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Uh, again, that's sanctification, the process of being made holy by the Holy Spirit. And then our bodies washed with pure water. No, this does not have to deal with baptism. This has to deal with purification rituals based on the Old Testament priesthood. And yes, the, the, they were still in play at this moment. But in, think of, again, who he's writing to. This makes total sense to them because they were going through and doing those purification rituals. For us, we think washed with pure water, oh, it's baptism, but it's not. There's actually purification rituals involving water back in the Old Testament. So while not desperately important, still understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those laws that the Old Testament had laid on the nation of Israel. And those laws weren't to keep Israel down, they were to show God's holiness. They were to show that the Lord is very different. He is set apart from the rest of the world. And so those laws were there for Israel's protection as well as for them to show the other nations that they were holy. But as we know through the Old Testament, there was failure after failure after failure after failure. And even in today's day and age, and you see the Gospels, and you see Peter's failure, and you see Paul's failure, and everyone else's, but there is success, and that success rests within that blood of Jesus. Now, as a pastor, and knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I continue to see this throughout the texts, whether I want to or not at times. Verse 20, when I say Jesus is the way, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. That is the way. He is the high priest. He enacted and established the way that we can have a right and real relationship with the Father. You see verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's the truth. The fulfillment of the covenants, that is a big deal. This isn't all willy-nilly, oh, Jesus died for me. Like, there are things that Jesus has done for us on our behalf that we don't even realize that Jesus has done. And it's through the word of God that we can continue and, again, see God's truth play out and play out. Because the Old Testament and the New Testament really work together. In the Bible, you have 66 different books written by 42 different authors. And they all tell essentially one story, which is God's plan of redemption for his people. Yeah, there's different things, different times, different periods. But that's the one unifying story is redemption for his people and God's intervening in their lives. And it is beautiful 
to see it continue to play out and how God continues to fulfill everything in that. And then lastly, this verse 22, that's life. That's the new life in Christ that we are all looking for and forward to. I think we've all had enough of the junk of the world. I think we've all tasted and seen that the world can be harsh and mean and ugly at times. But have we tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Is he our joy, our confident expectations that someday we will be with him and that someday we will have no more sin and that everything will be taken care of in, in our lives? So continue to see that in the first point and have that confidence again through Christ's accomplishments. We can have rest like we've never had rest before. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. So praise the Lord through that. Now, we can carry hope through faith too in this same vein of thought and encouragement for our Christian life. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And why can we do that? For he who promised is faithful. So we see hold fast, we see confession, we see hope, and with no wavering, right? And throughout this entire series through Hebrews, again, we started this back January 30th. Lots happened between January 30th and where we're at here in June. But hopefully, again, understanding the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, there's been an increase of faith that there's been an increase of trust, and that there's been an increase of hope within each of us. As, again, continuing to understand what the Lord has done and how he's done it perfectly and beautifully and completely is nothing but mind-blowing to me. Because most of us just hear, you know, the Sunday school messages, the very simple things. But this, this certainly is a lot more deeper than most of the, Jesus died for me. But how? Why? Like, that's great. There needs to be a reason, right? And so those reasons continue to happen as we continue to read Scripture. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Let's think about this, too, as the author has quoted the Old Testament. I don't even know how many times. I didn't go back and count. But he's quoted them a lot in this. Go through and see. Even in the beginning of chapter 10, he's quoted the, the Old Testament in this. And again, the fulfillment of prophecy. There are over 300 different prophecies about who the Messiah will be, what he will do, how he will do it, how he will come, where he will be from, so on and so forth. And that Jesus fulfills all of this Old Testament prophecy. We talk about Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, again, he's in two sections in the Old Testament. One verse in Psalm 110, verse 4, and then three verses in Genesis chapter 14. So, this Melchizedek and being a priest forever, again, continuing on in that, that Jesus is the priest forever, but Again, continue to think about the prophecy of the Old Testament. Then, continue to think about the fulfillment of the priesthood. Continue to think about how the Levites and Aaron had to go about doing what they did. 
for the priesthood, then think about how Jesus has fulfilled all of those obligations, all of the law, all of the way. And then also the shadows of the things to come, as we've learned in Hebrews as well. How everything that was done, how even the temple, the way it was set up was regulated by God because it was a shadow of what was already waiting in heaven. And so there are many things that are shadows of the things to come as we look around our world. And we know that as God created the world, the world was good and it was perfect. But things changed because sin and death entered into the world. Again, all part of our growing, all part of our understanding of life. But because those had changed and continue to change, they are but shadows of the things that have been established for us already. And then lastly, think about God's covenantal commitment. Not just think about God's covenants, but think about his covenantal commitment. We talked about all kinds of different covenants. We talked about the Adamic covenant, the one that he made with Abraham, or Adam, not Abraham. Then came the Noadic covenant, the one that he made with Noah. Then came the covenant with Abraham. Then came the covenant with Moses. Then came the covenant with David. And these covenants kept kind of building on themselves. And, and tell me, as you've read in the Old Testament, how well did the humans fulfill the covenants? They didn't fulfill the covenants well at all. But you know what? Here's the thing. God could have easily pulled the plug at any point in time. He would have totally been justified. It would have been righteous for him to do so because we haven't held our end of the deal by any stretch of the imagination. But you know who did? God did. And of course, because our Lord did, you should know about his covenant commitment. You should remember his hesed. You should remember his steadfast love. It's one of the descriptor terms that God uses back in Exodus to describe himself. And God doesn't really describe himself too, too often. So because of that, his covenant commitment, we can hold fast through and onto God's steadfast love for us. Because by all means and by all rights, he should have quit and walked away. Because we broke it. And we continue to break it. But God now has established a new covenant through his son, one that we can't ultimately break. As long as we continue to make it about Jesus and not about our religion or not about our traditions or not about ourselves, ultimately, and that it is about Christ, that we can carry hope every day as a badge because we carry Jesus with us every day. We have the Holy Spirit within us every day. And so, while it's a shadow of the things to come, just imagine what things will be revealed to us. Maybe we can relate to the Apostle Paul where he says, For I am sure that the sufferings of this present world will pale in comparison to the glories that be revealed to us. And so, as great as this life is sometimes, it can certainly be hard, too. But as great as it is, how much greater will our time with the Lord be? And our time with the Lord, that will be heaven. Because there won't be any of these problems. And our relationship will be right and whole again. So, 
Going on to that last point, point three, God's family is important to us. So what do we do now that we know Jesus and we're still here on earth? What do we do? This is where the author transitions into what we do next. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Part of the reason I brought up that this is more of a sermon than an epistle is because it's not very friendly at times. It's not very, um, hey, Joe, I know what you did last week, and I just want you to know that I love you and life's going to be okay. But in this, he actually has a little hint again of friendliness, where he says, as is the habit of some. So you're like, wait, that doesn't sound very friendly at all. But the reason I say that it's friendly at all is just very simply because, again, there was something going on. This is not a letter written outside of time in a capsule or anything like that. We have an unknown author writing to a group of people that he obviously loves and cares about. And so the only other times that he actually got a little bit friendly with them was when he gave them warnings. We got a little personal. He's like, hey, watch out for spiritual immaturity. <laughs> and then he says, don't make this about anything other than Jesus. Because if you've taken away the only sacrifice, the only way of redemption that we have, then it's all for naught. And so, what was going on with the Messianic Jews at the time? Or what was going on with the Hebrews? Clearly, something has been going on, because as is the habit of some. And as we get into this final section now, as we, we you know, go on the next few weeks, it is going to get a little more personal with them in this way. And he's going to give them more encouragement in the way. But this is the start of it. And really, this is one of those things, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. That verse 25 certainly has been used as a form of legalism to make sure that you attend church and you attend services. I would hope that you want to. And again, when we talk about inside out transformations, it's talking about heart motives and changes. It's talking about, I don't have to, I get to, I want to, as opposed to, well, it's Sunday again, guess I better go. Oh, it's Thursday night or oh, it's Monday night, gross group again, I guess I better go. Better just do it. Eric will throw verse 25 at me out of Hebrews chapter 10 if I don't. But, but how hard is that? And honestly, this is the part about sin that's terrible. Anytime I try to tell you anything that you, you, you should do or you have to do or something like that, you're just like, who are you to tell me what to do? That's the first response out of every sinner. It's like, oh, you can't tell me what to do. I'm sure, that might be the right and the righteous thing to do, but I'm not going to do it because you told me to do it. Like, come on. But at the same time, certainly there was something going on with the Hebrews at that time. And even though certainly I would hope that we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and that we do live our lives ultimately for Christ, there has to be an understanding of, of, of why we do the things that we do. And, and Hopefully, it is seen to be important, and that this isn't something frivolous. 
unfortunately, in today's society, too, you see the church as like a club. It's a club of people that look alike and talk alike and do the same things. Man, I hope we're never like that. Because that's not the church. You know, I my heart breaks because I know planter brothers who have taken that proverbial left turn at Albuquerque and made it about something other than Jesus. They made it political. They made it about works. They made it about being missional. <clears throat> and everything that you do apart from the Lord, and again, well, the political thing is bad. The missional thing is not so bad because, well, God tells us to go, therefore, into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when we make the church a club, and when we make it something about other than Jesus, that's, that's when we go astray. That's when the blessings kind of seem to, to taper off in a way. But to stir up one another to love and good works, from my perspective, this is why... Again, we have growth groups. It's an opportunity for everyone to come to have your voice heard and to continue to grow and continue to be sanctified in the spirit. It's not a legal obligation, but I would hope you'd want to come because <laughs> I hope you want to grow in Christ. I hope you want to enjoy the fellowship of the saints. You know, we talk about the other events that we do, the, the backpack fundraiser for the children. There's a need in the community. Are we doing it because I'm looking for glory and honor for us? Or is it because it's the right thing to do in the community? And so these are just some of the things that we'll talk about on that Sunday, too, because heart motives make a big difference. It's always about the heart motives. And so let us consider, certainly, consider it. Think about it. That's all he's asking, how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's the same reason I put on the bulletin, and you can look at it now, the little mission clause. Actually, did we take it off? Now that I think about it. <laughs> now that I think about it, I did. I took it off two weeks ago because we've got too many missional activities. But I'm always like, hey, if you've got an idea on how to bless the community, let's talk about it. Let me know. You know, I've asked for ways to, you know, help foster, you know, children's growth in books. Great. Let me know. Let's do it. I've asked for help in lots of different ways. I am not the all-knowing, all-seeing whoever. <laughs> but I know the Lord, and I know that we have a heart for a community. And God put us here in this community for a reason. So I hope that we can continue to consider how to stir up one another, not just within these walls, but within this community, to love and good works. Can you imagine what a community would be like that actually loved itself and that built itself up in the truth and love? Maybe you've heard me say this before. Maybe you haven't. And I'm certainly dating myself because my dad watched this show all the time. And I'm like, boy, this is such an old show. But the Andy Griffith show. I love Mayberry. I would love to see Genoa be like Mayberry. Right? No, where people know each other where people love each other and can continue to grow themselves up? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? I think it would be awesome. Even though Gabriella might be thinking differently. <laughs> I still think it would certainly be very cool. Well, we can make music and joy. I mean, look at the fruit stand. Let's start a fruit stand in Genoa. 
And maybe we can have those conversations with people in real life about raspberries. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I told you about in the first point, you can see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. If you look at this whole section, you know what it screams? It screams the two great commandments. It screams love the Lord your God, and it screams love your neighbor as yourself. The first two points are all about loving God. And it's very easy to do because he's the one that's done everything. It's very easy to love when the onus isn't on you. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly the point he's about. And that's the two great commandments in and of itself and in a nutshell. And so just to bring it home for you, see this encouragement. See the encouragement to the Messianic Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the prophecy that they've been looking for. They've been looking for him, and now he's here. And this author is trying to portray to them that Jesus is that Messiah. See also the encouragement to everyone that God has fulfilled his covenants and his law through his son, and he's shown us the how and the why in all of this. Encouragement on how to draw near to God. They've shown us and talked about the temple and the processes and how God wants that relationship, but how it couldn't happen through the Old Testament priesthood. But now it can. And it happens because we have the great mediator who is the great high priest who's traveled through the heavens. Encouragement through confidence in the son's work. He, let's face it. He's done things that you can't do or will ever do or be able to do. And that is good news in and of itself, that we have a Lord and a Savior that actually cares. Because when you look at religion, again, it's all different gods with people trying to climb up a spiritual ladder trying to appease God, whereas Jesus is the only one who's come down. So we can have confidence in that son's work. We can have encouragement that Jesus certainly is the way, the truth, and the life. We have encouragement that you indeed are important to God. And especially as we talked about that last point, God's family is important to him. And so if God's family is important to him, therefore it must be important to me as I am God. And lastly, encouragement for your walk with Jesus from now, this moment, through all eternity. We will be with him. And that's just a few of the encouragements that we've seen out of Hebrews chapter 10. Or, or really, Hebrews chapter 1 through chapter 10, verse 25. Praise the Lord for all that. So, dear Heavenly Father, uh, as always, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your kindness and your grace. I certainly thank you for the fruits of the Spirit and the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control that you've given us through the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Let us never walk away from these truths, Lord Jesus. Continue to impress them on our hearts and our minds. Continue to sanctify us by the Spirit and continue to love us as only you can sacrificially with your agape love. May you use us well, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.